I'm sorry I wasn't nicer, nice about the history of U.S. Chinese, but it never came up. There are people out there who will believe if they hear certain words, they will instantly come to the conclusion that the United States was a colonial power in the same sense that Europe was. You know, I, I want to recommend, Vivek knows about this, I'm sure, the Ibis Trilogy. This, these, I re recommend this to everybody because this is all about the opium trade. The, the action in the novel starts in 1838, just on the eve of the first opium war. The hero is a mixed race American from Baltimore. And it takes you through the first opium war and the aftermath and so forth. And there is just no question that New England in particular thrived from the China trade on the coattails of the, of the Royal Navy. And we were jackal imperialists. We were up to our nose in that stuff. And here's the thing, the Chinese, they know their own history, but they look at, Amer at the American Navy. They look at it in Southeast Asia. And what do they see? They see the Spanish and the Portuguese and then the Dutch and the British and the French navies down there that have used that, that part of the world as a staging ground for assaults against, China, against the Chinese mainland for 200 years. Can I just make one or two other small points? During the Cold War, during the early years of the Cold War, after Sputnik, okay, in the PSYOP that the United States created, it was obviously Soviet focused, but there were lots and lots of targets in China. Because as you said, monolithic communism, we assume that People's Republic was a subordinate ally of the Soviet Union and would do everything that it said. We had on station at all times four nuclear capable aircraft that were able to drop nuclear weapons on China before 1969, before Lopnor, before China, the Chinese had an answer. If you get a Chinese guy in their cups who knows the history, the humiliation of the United States being able to threaten China with nuclear weapons, and China had no means of responding, right, that still gnaws at them. They think we humiliated them by doing that. And of course we did. We didn't think of it that way. That still gnaws at them. Wow, we could get into so many topics. We didn't even mention that today Russia invaded Europe. Why? why? Nothing to do with China. <laughs> no, nothing to do with China, but it's such big news. No, it's not being covered at all in the U.S. Hardly, yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite phenomenal. Nobody gives a shit about the rest of the world, really. We are banking on being able to get through that somehow. By the way, Vivek, uh, but you know this already, you know, if the United States can deter a Chinese attack and Chinese pressure on Taiwan, and if it can create a joint naval command with Japan, which should be done immediately, uh, it's going to push Chinese energies, wolf warrior energies elsewhere. The Chinese have been probing in India. India is weak. The Chinese mine punches a couple of soldiers up in the, up in the mountains, and India is weak. I would be worried <laughs> about more coming from the Chinese if I were an Indian. They can't go and screw the Soviets, the, the Russians yet, because they, they need them still for some things. But if you look around the borders of China, where the pressure points are, if they can't go into Taiwan and they can't go elsewhere in Southeast Asia right now without starting a war, they're going to go elsewhere. They're going to come toward India. I completely agree with you. They've been trying <laughs> that for the last couple of years. And yeah, we don't quite have the military strength that China has because we've we've neglected to build build our military strength over the years. That's been the major miss out over the last thirty years. Uh, that's something that I think this Indian government is recognizes that, and let's see how things go. But the problem in India is much like the U.S. is that the politics tends to come in the way of what might be really necessary military buildup because India is so chaotic yeah. and it's got so many different voices that it's not easy to get a consensus on this. 
and it's actually taken only wars to get a consensus and you've had a consensus during those wars for maybe 15 days or 20 days or one month or the month after but then after that we go back to our nice little chaotic ways india india really worries me though and americans worry me try to imagine a completely muscle-bound in the brain pseudo-strategist in america thinking about how to deal with china okay you remember back in 1968 or one of the early james bond movies the plot of the movie was that the chinese using submarine launch ballistic missiles because if you can't identify the source of an attack you can't deter it the chinese are trying to trick the, the Soviets and the Americans into, a, uh, into a, a war that would destroy the United States and the Soviet Union and leave China to be. Well, that's the same scenario now, but the idea is to maneuver China and India into a nuclear war, kill all of these extraneous people, and then that solves our problem. There are people who actually started to think like that in private. This is very, very evil. Why India? Why, do Ameri- why would India, Americans even consider India? India has nuclear weapons. That would be, it would be the fodder that would uh, that would rain nuclear missiles down on China and reduce its threat. The two, the two countries would destroy each other, and then the threat to the United States would diminish. I mean, this That's, is like right, not, not, not people, actually in the U.S. policy community. They're they're not in the policy community. They're in the extremities of some of the in the in the military services. Wow, it's all they stay at the extremities of. But this is the fact that that people have thought like this and have been willing to say it in private is terrifying. <laughs> you know. Saying it in private, in what context? You want people to be speculating and having ideas in private that you know, are quickly shot down. You don't want people to be totally stifled in the military so they can never voice any cr- right. crazy well, idea. That's right. Right. I'm not saying this is going to become national policy or anything like that in the next... As long as it never gets anywhere near anyone... Yeah, I don't, probably um, not, but you no, know, it's the tailwind of the zeitgeist. You know what I mean? Uh, I do mm-hmm. know what you mean. The irrationality, the, 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 lava, the lava flows of irrationality now in the United States. And, it's it's um, astonishing to see. It's astonishing to see. It's just wafting across the Atlantic, the, the crazy. And it's really scary. I mean, I think Biden is very sane and, and dignified. And I'm every time he speaks in that slow, reassuring way, I'm very, very glad he's there and Trump isn't. But 75 million people voted for crazy. And And of the 75 million who voted for crazy, Probably 30 or 40 still think that the election was stolen, and uh, they, they think we're in the uh, the early stages of a of a civil war. Well, and by the way, the uh, the woke left is no le- maybe less, oh they're less, they're nuts less violent they're, but they're no less illiberal. They're absolutely nuts, and everyone hates them, and they are completely unable to to see themselves as others see them. Yeah, but here here's the thing: if you if you drop a a nickel from the sky on any place in America, just sort of random. And then you go there to where the nickel lands and you go just go talk to people. What you'll find is that Americans in general are just as sober and moderate and centrist as they ever were. And that compromise is not a dirty word. It's really only in the activist wings of the parties that you find these lunatics. But we now have a clickbait driven media that magnifies the extremes and the the cacophony, uh, the dialectic between, uh, between the extremes. And so you have to ask yourself, what really matters politically? What is true about the way that Americans think or what is perceived via the media about how Americans think? Those are two different things right now. And this is, this is a subject that I, I ruminate on, but I have not figured out. So well, you're coming uh, back. You're coming back, Adam, because this is a topic that we absolutely love. Right, Claire? This is why, this is our raison d'etre. This is our, this is us. If we can just figure out how to get people to click on us instead of the clickbait. <laughs> Yeah, well, good luck with that one. I've come to the conclusion that things are so nuts right now. Gornish McGornish. 
I'll let Claire translate. <laughs> it's in, it's how do you translate that? It's it's uh, it's, it's nothing with nothing. It's very, yeah, it's, it's like like hard. It's it's, it's hard. Like to nonsense upon nonsense. It's nonsense it's useless. Nonsense. Yeah. Useless. Oh, you know what? Speaking speaking of nonsense upon nonsense, I ran into just from reading my favorite quote of the last twenty four hours. Anyway, this is some some guy named Ferenc. Molnar, some some uh, Hungarian Jew in the middle of uh, the interwar period, said the following about some maybe Mussolini, some fascist, early fascist pre World War II uh, personality. He said, and this this fits Donald Trump so well. I, he said he was such a liar that his lies were not even the opposite. <laughs> I just have to think about it. It's, yeah, he was such a liar that his lie that his lies were not that his lies were you know not even the opposite of, of the truth. Yeah, yeah, yep. I just love it. <laughs> well, it does suggest that maybe Trump isn't the first person in history to be so hallucinogenic in his. Of course not. No, there were quite a few before him. He was him. the first, first person in American history. First American president, and I think the first. I, I don't think there's been a Westerner who is who has had Trump's quality of being so so goofily. Well, in uh, Italy, uh, you had this guy Silvio Berlusconi. I was just going to say, go, but go back before. There was also Mussolini. I mean, you know, let's go yeah, back yeah, a little yeah. bit. But, you know, it's absolutely horrible that Italy actually birthed two of them. Really, think about it: Mussolini and Berlusconi. Well, Italy is a young country, as you know. It is. You know what? I, you know what I heard it's from a young, uh, it's a young uh, democracy. Alessandro, Alessandro Patuino from Milano, <laughs> who was a friend of mine, who's a, who spent. 25 years in Shanghai and who's now in Singapore. Uh, he told me something I wasn't aware of. And this comes right out of book eight of the Republic, where Socrates is talking about disrespect for law, that people are accused and convicted of crimes, but they're still walking around on the street. So I didn't know that, that Berlusconi was ordered to jail, but he didn't go. And he's still walking around and, and nobody does anything. I mean, this comes right out of book eight of the Republic. It's just stunning. <laughs> I think he was under house arrest. I think that's where he did his time. That's what I believe. But I'd have to go and check that. I'm not entirely sure. Well, but that's what I think. And then he went off to France. And that's where he was during COVID permission. to his villa in France. But that's um, quite a guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, Adam, we got to get you back. OK. And there are quite a few topics that we can all talk about. Why don't we get you back on a topic about which you are an expert? <laughs> well, name one. I mean, there are only a couple. We could talk about the Middle East, but it, it makes me insane. Well, what I'd like to talk about really is is spectacle and literacy. Let's talk about that. It's a little esoteric. No, it's, it's right up our alley. Uh, right up our alley. No, we love that. And it's important. We could talk about that. That's what I'm kind of working on, thinking about. Yeah. I am. I am going to finish. Try to finish this book. That kind of it's like the you know the everything bagel. Explanation for American dysfunction, which is also partly Western dysfunction. Yep. When I say everything bagel. You know, all know what I mean. Probably yes. not. I do. Uh, you, uh, you know, do you know what everything bagel is? When you go and you buy a bagel, you can say, "I want onions on it," or "I want sesame seeds," or "I want poppy seeds," or "I want whatever." But if you say an everything bagel, it means you want it all on the same bagel. So it means a synoptic, three hundred and sixty degree, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. syncretic. It means quite a complicated bagel. Yeah, really gummy, complicated. Gummy. Actually, Vivek, do you know what a bagel is? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> yes, I, I do. Like bagels, Vivek, but... just out of curiosity, have they got bagels in India? Yeah, there's a couple of stores that sell them now. That sell them now. Okay. Yeah, there's some, there's an American chain that's come down. Yeah. Sounds got... like con market. <laughs> We've got bagels uh, here. No, it's not con market. My daughter's definitely not con market. 
we got bagels here, but they've been Italianized. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Well, it's good. sort of like, you know, pizza in the States. The same. It's the same concept. You know, for, for years, I said the French are not going to be able to master cheesecake. They just can't get their heads around it. And mm-hmm. now they have, they've got Mastered cheesecake it. down pat. And they still haven't got bagels, but there's going to be some kind of breakthrough soon. Oh, they will. Because they will. It, it, they will. It's not, it's not an inscrutable technology. Well, that, that makes up for the fact that in the past 15 or 20 years, the French have actually been able to produce bad wine. Never produced bad wine before, but lately there's some actually bad French wine. What are you thinking um, of? It comes in the, uh, if, you go, if you go to the airport, you know, near the airport, it comes in the, uh, the wax containers. Oh, okay, but um, you shouldn't It's really downscale stuff. It's we I haven't seen that here in, in yeah, no, actual you, France proper. Well, not in Paris, maybe, but just <laughs> it's, it's just an export only product. Uh, probably, or idiots who, have, who are stuck at airports product. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's genuinely bad. And and I just thought the French, you know, would never, on principle, would never do that. But they, I would have thought tetra so too. Pack. It's the Tetra Pack. No, we've got it here as well, but it's the same thing. We just use it for cooking. You know, Italy, Italy is another country I haven't spent nearly as much time in as I would. Oh like. come, Adam! You should see where I live. You and gotta so, come. Well, I where do you live? I mean, I know you live in Siena. Siena but tell me about where you live. Yeah, very, said, very close. What I, what I, Behind my house, I've got the Francigena Way. Okay, so this is the old road, the pilgrimage route that takes you right through. I'm surrounded by hills, and right now they're verdant green. It's it's spectacular, spectacular. And, you know, many, many times I've thought, okay, maybe I should just go back to Canada because politically it's an impossible country. But then I look around me here in Tuscany and I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do it because it's just, you know, I, I drive home from university. I stop, I can look out into the hills. There's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful hillside. It's, it's something you got to see, Claire. So well, you're invited say, as well. My, my family's Italian. I, I have seen Tuscany. It's incredibly beautiful. Oh, you're there just you go. Right into a Renaissance painting. <laughs> it doesn't look real. Well, say, you know, it doesn't can, look real. Invited, uh, I'll be there. You know? Oh no! You think your travel is ever going to recover? You think the world is ever going to recover? <laughs> yeah, I do. I think it'll recover. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I think it's going to recover. Unless we have another zoonotic disease. By the way, one of the things I wrote a proprietary study for the Japanese government recently. I do it every four years, and uh, one of the things that I suggested, you know, um, Prime Minister Suga will be here in the United States. Will be here in Washington uh, on the eighth of April for a three-day visit. That's soon. So one of the things I suggested he consider is. Uh, suggestion to the U.S. government, to the Biden administration, that Japan and the United States co-chair a, uh, an international effort to prevent and manage zoonotic disease. Because I think we're very likely at the beginning of a period where zoonotic disease is going to become, so, so far we've had SARS and COVID-19, but I think that's just the beginning, unless this invasion of marginal areas releasing nasty things that have been lying in the ground for 10 million years, unless we stop violating this the de facto separation between civilization and nature, we're going to have more of these. There are a lot of things you can do to mitigate the frequency and the damage that these these zoonotic diseases cause. You see what kind of what kind of what catastrophes they, they cause, right? We we can do a lot more than we're doing now. And I think Japan and the United States should co-chair an international effort to, to do what is possible to do. And that would be an area, for example, where the Chinese would be resistant at first, because they promised after SARS to t- shut down these wet markets and so forth, and they didn't do it. Now there's more pressure, and there are more countries involved, and it's better understood what the dynamic is. But So I think that's an area where there's you know a lot of good things could be done. I mean, basically, the Western institutions uh, were like a dumpster fire during COVID, but the medical research 
and non-governmental institutions actually did pretty well. They did brilliantly, yeah. but I think we need to capitalize on that and help our strengths, it yeah. and enhance it. And that's one way to do it is to create a project, a big, uh, you know, a stretch, a stretch idea, right? Uh, what I do? Zoonotic disease. And so I hope the Japanese took the suggestion seriously, and they will they will discuss it with the with us Americans because we'd never think of something like by ourselves. <laughs> no, seriously, you know, one of the things that's happened. You know, the Chinese talk about rectification of names, how people start using language, but they're not using language in the way that you know it's supposed to be used. The word bold. When a politician uses the word bold in the United States right now. It's a totally transformed meaning of the word. When the Democrats talk about bold, they mean bigger government throwing money at problems. Anything but thinking about it, all right? N nobody on, on either, in either major party has actually had an actual idea. No one has articulated a theory of the case of what's the matter. And our think tanks have devolved into the most- Brained most it, you know? You can't expect an idea like that to come from-, from the academia is a, is a clown show. It is. Yeah, everybody's in their navel, you know? Mm -hmm. There are no grand narratives anymore. The humanities are in the trash. Uh, that's what the humanities- and, and I don't know how we get that back because you skip a generation with that and how do you get that back? Yeah, good question. I don't know. Maybe when we save for our literacy podcast. We also, I want to show you this, by the way. Mm -hmm. You've seen this. Can you see this? Strange rights. Is that about psilocybin? No, it's not, not necessarily. <laughs> but the, the subhead is new religions for a godless world. And it's- by oh, it's by a 30-year-old woman named Tara Isabella Burton. Uh, who Why writes does that name sound so familiar? I don't understand what she's talking about half the time because she's into the gaming world, right? And I've never played a video mm -hmm. game. I don't have a Facebook account. I don't have a Twitter account. I don't want one. So mm -hmm. she's like 30 years. My, all three of my children are older than that. <laughs> I don't know what the hell she's talking about, but I recognize some of it <laughs> about what's going on. See, the humanities require, it's literacy-based, it's reading-based, yes. and it's solipsistic. It's disembodied, all right? Religious culture swings both ways. If you need, you know, therapy, then the social aspect of a religious community furnishes that. But if you want intellectual stimulation, you have in every major religious tradition in the world, you have the written intellectually serious moral reasoning aspect of religion. So religion is very flexible. That's why it appeals the way it does, because it crosses this boundary. The humanities don't and can't. The humanities are necessarily solipsistic. There's a ritual in the humanities, right? So when you lose literacy and you lose the sense of solipsistic disembodied existence, that you can communicate with somebody who's been dead for 400 years, you can read Dante, whatever. When you lose that, it's gone because there's no communal aspect to it really, except in you know, faculties and, and esoteric universities. So you're right. When the Gossamer thread is broken, it's broken. But it's part, it's part of the, the erosion of literacy. The yeah, literacy. I think it's a huge subject. And I think we should dedicate a whole podcast to it and... It's something we should be exploring as a society. We should be thinking about this so much more than we actually do, because the, the consequences of this are almost immeasurable. How do you have a law system if you if you people can't read? How do you have anything? Yeah. Well, this is also this is also the invitation for the zero sum mentality to reinvade our lives. I mean, I, I think the, the best black and white thinking, the childishness, the the inability to grasp nuance. I think the best essay I've written in the past couple of years. Actually, quite proud of it because there's some original thinking in it. Uh, was this essay called The Collapse of Reality, which is about the return of the zero sum. People don't realize this, but the Enlightenment actually is organized around a very simple idea that it's possible to take the, the positive sum cooperative relationships that are organic to family and community and expand them through careful design of institutions to encompass a much larger us than just the family and the, the local town, right? And that's what the Enlightenment's based on. It's based on the idea that we can have positive sum 
we can boost and we can refine and we can support positive some relationships in large mass societies. That's what the Enlightenment is. That's what all, every American institution is. is Scottish Enlightenment, yeah. Yeah, Scottish Enlightenment. We have the invisible hand. We have checks and balances. We have all of these dynamic equilibrium, right, ideas that show you that, you know, you can get harmony from more than the sum of the parts, that not everything is a conflict, right? That's going away. And what I tried to do in this article was deduce the reasons why we are, why the positive sum has deteriorated and we're back into the zero sum mentality of which Donald Trump, of course, is the poster child of, of, of all time. That was like a Darwinian saltation from, from civilization to spectacle that I would not have imagined could happen so quickly. No, I mean, it took my breath away. But imagine, imagine a president of the United States saying, guy, why did those soldiers risk their lives and die? What was in it for them? Can you imagine? It, it's... It would have been literally unimaginable until he said it. Literally unimaginable. I mean, I guess I suppose it would be imaginable, but it would be a spoof like idiocracy. Yeah. I would never have believed that the no, things there, he said. To me, to me, the, to me the, the real question that, that does keep me up at night sometimes isn't about the decline of the gossamer thread of the humanities. It's the gossamer thread of the positive sum. Because if we lose that mentality, right, and we revert back to the dog-eat-dog you know, pseudo-Darwinian attitude, then not a single one of our institutions is sustainable. Not no. one. The idea of no. a loyal opposition, the idea of open debate, respect for truth, civility. Freedom humility, of expression. Gone. Academic freedom, tolerance of any kind. And then it's it's a Lord of the Flies moment. It's one Lord of the Flies moment after another. Well, that's exactly what I keep thinking, and people tell me, no, it'll be okay. But I think really that's just a matter of temperament, whether you're temperamentally optimistic or pessimistic, but I think there are a lot of reasons to be genuinely scared to death. I, I said this on our last podcast that it feels like we've entered a new historic era. We're standing on the edge of a void. We have no idea what happens on the other side. I have five grandchildren. I don't care about me so much. I'm fine, but but I have five grandchildren. What kind of world? What kind of country? Yeah. What kind of world? I'll just I'll just tell you a little joke and then I'll <laughs> go have lunch. You know the old joke about the optimist, the pessimist, and the engineer? You know this joke? Tell, the tell me. The optimist thinks the glass is half full. <laughs> the pessimist thinks the glass is half empty. The engineer thinks that the glass is twice as large as it needs to be for the purpose. <laughs> yep. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Adam. It was Take lovely care. to see you. Really Thank lovely. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. And Bye. Bye-bye, okay. okay, so... That was absolutely fabulous. That was an interesting conversation. Yes, it was. It was. And I hope that we're going to be continuing with Adam. Okay, we got to get him back on. That was brilliant. Yes, was it was. Brilliant. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Okay, Claire, that brings us to the end of the pod. I'd like to thank Vivek. I'd like to say goodbye to you and to Claire. Claire, any last thoughts? That was just a wonderful conversation. I think that our readers and our listeners will really, really be interested in that. Okay, so we look forward to your comments in the comments section. Thank you for listening in. And it's ciao for now.